Welcome to the Yankee Cowboy Podcast. Coming to you from Dallas, Texas. Here's your host, Tim Wilkins. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another awesome episode of the Yankee Cowboy Podcast. I'm joined again by the co-host of co-hosts, Chris. And today's topic is something that I think me and you, Chris, have wanted to talk about for a long, long time. As race car fans, motorsports fans, as they want to call us, there's only so many races that are the considered to be the crown jewels of racing. And today's topic is exactly that. It is the crown jewels. Which one is the best crown jewel of them all? Chris, I think there is no better way to start this topic off than one, which one that just finished this past weekend, which is the not the Roar at the 24. No, it's the Rolex 24. And uh, arguably, one of the greatest, coolest races to watch. Uh, it was live on the Peacock app. Uh, or on NBC Universal channels of TV. Chris, I think, you know, we can go through the crown jewels exactly what we consider them, but, uh, you know, from your experience, the 24 is kind of the the, key, the marquee, right, this past weekend. So just to see what you what'd you think of that race this past weekend before we kind of dive into what we want to talk about here. Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about it, it's the, uh, it's the proverbial kickoff. I mean, some people would say, oh, it's the Chili Bowl, but. Um, it's, it's really the proverbial kickoff of the, uh, the North American, you know, racing season. The, the, the event itself has brought all types of, you know, pageantry, obviously from not only the fact of, uh, you know, for sports car racing, but bringing in guys from NASCAR and IndyCar and, uh, all different forms of motorsports to compete in this event. And I think this year obviously had, uh, had a, had a different feel with the, uh, with the new top class of uh, GTP, with uh, with the new uh, hypercar hi- uh, hybrid type programs that we saw from Acura and Cadillac and Porsche and and BMW, um, you know, and that really their that first event for those cars to compete um, was was really really cool and uh, obviously a, a great event and you know it, it, in um, you know all basically in three of the or sorry, four of the five classes, um, you know, you had, you had close finishes. The only class that didn't have, basically didn't have a close finish was the LMP3 class, which I think the winner won that by like 11 laps. But all the other classes, including the, uh, the LMP2 class, which was within, I think was a few hundredths of a second between the two, the two, the top two cars. So uh, cool event, obviously, uh, yeah, kick off to the to the motorsport season in 2023, and you know before you know it'll be the time for the uh, for the Daytona 500 here in uh, a little little less than two weeks. I will say that you know the GTP cars, the new cars, they just sounded so much better on TV compared to the last series of the top series, and and honestly, it was a great a great race if you actually paid attention to the race itself. There was a lot of cool moments and just. 
like you said, that the finish I, I think didn't get it justice uh, on television um, with how close the finish actually was with all the series. Because I think it was weird. It was they way the way NBC kind of cut around. It, it really didn't show how close that race really was for a lot of the series, a lot of the the competition. So it was really unique. Obviously, what we're talking about today's topic of the crown jewels of motorsports. The Daytona, the 24 hours of Daytona is obviously one of them, but we're talking about there's 24 hours of Le Mans, uh, the Monaco, the F Formula One race at Monaco, which is obviously Memorial Day weekend, the Coca-Cola 600, uh, the Indy 500, the Daytona 500, and the Southern 500 is considered in that considered a ground jewel moment. Um, there's a couple other races that I think we can consider uh, in, in North America. I think the Sebring, the race at Sebring is pretty awesome. It's a cool track. Uh, Chris, I don't know what your view on that is for North America, but yeah, Sebring 12 hour. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, obviously the, the, uh, the 12 hours of Bathurst, which is another cool race. Um, there's a lot of cool races in the water sports realm. And I think arguably today's topic is one of those where you kind of just fanboy out because if you've been to any one of these races, which I think both of us have, uh, there's certain race that kind of just comes to mind that sticks out in your mind that is probably one of the, if, if not arguably the coolest fan experience. Um, and obviously there's moments where you kind of go, I wish I was there and some tracks are better than others for that. And that's kind of where I want to kind of talk about. And, and obviously the top five that I rank Supreme on, on, on all time levels of what I enjoy, yeah, obviously going to Daytona uh, and, and doing what I'm doing when, you know, I've been to Daytona, it's arguably, you know, it is the, I would say it is the beginnings of NASCAR. If you're a NASCAR fan in, in the United States, Daytona 500 is something that you have to do as well as the Southern 500 because that's where the Southern roots really started in the sport. I think, Darling, I think Darlington Motor Speedway, in my view, is really one of the coolest experiences uh, in a lot, for a lot of motorsports fans if they ever have an opportunity to go. Obviously, it's about a two-hour drive from Charlotte, but the one of the weird things that I want to talk about with Daytona isn't the Daytona 500 is arguably the, the oval, but for a race car fan or a racing fan, it is a pretty boring race to watch unless you have some kind of involvement uh, with the fan experience of some kind because of its restrictor plate style. Uh, now, arguably, I rank it at my fifth fifth top five is probably the fifth is the Daytona 500. And the reason being has nothing to do with the track itself. It has to do with the type of racing that you're watching. It's a long day. It's kind of a drag, you know, the hotel amenities pretty good for the most part, but it's a pretty rough go there to kind of get a flight into Orlando or Jacksonville or Daytona. It's not really fun for the fan experience to try to do that. And also, if you try to fly into Daytona Beach, your flight's going to cost you about 800 bucks. So don't try to do that. Uh, which, the fourth, in my view, is the Southern 500. And the reason being is there's a lot of history at the Southern 500. Um, to me, it's where the really the roots of the sport kind of got its its deal uh, in, this, in the motorsports world of NASCAR. Three in my view is the, the Rolex 24 is it, it is the most one of the coolest endurance races you'll ever watch with multiple different cars. Number two 
is is the F1 race at Monaco for the arguably can kind of group that with the 24 hours in Le Mans. Um, you might argue with me on that one. I, I, I'm not a big crazy fan of the 24-hour Le Mans race because of the North American coverage. It tends not to be as sound. And the number one race, I personally believe, is the greatest race of all time when it comes to crown jewels, is the Indianapolis 500. For the fan perspective, what the city of Indianapolis does, or the city of Speedway does, if you want to call it that, if you've ever been there, you understand what I mean by that. The amount of infrastructure, obviously, has been renovated. Roger Penske purchasing the track this past couple of years. The Indianapolis 500 is probably arguably the greatest American race or arguably the crown jewel of all time. Just because of the track is a little dated. Don't get me wrong. Like most tracks are, they get dated. But the fan experience as a person has gone to it, yes, is a, a little bit of a challenge. Yes, but is it something that you can overcome as a fan? Absolutely. Is it something that the city of Indianapolis embraces year over year over year and drives pretty much the, the city's economy is that race for that particular weekend? And I think it's arguably – it's kind of the craziest thing I learned about being there and watching the race, Chris. I think you can agree with disagree with me on this. I did not know that the race was blacked out in the city of Indianapolis during sure. the race itself. I did not know that. Until yep. I was there, and it was cool because I watched a replay after I got to a restaurant to to watch to to basically get dinner for the night after being at the track all day. It was pretty cool, and I, I think arguably, and I want to hear your thoughts on maybe your top five crown jewels are. Maybe we can kind of go back and forth on a couple, but I think arguably the Indianapolis 500, especially nowadays with Roger Penske owning the IndyCar series. Uh, as well as the track and what he has done to the track so far with the renovations that are planned and will do will be planned uh, as well as the, it, it, the I'm pretty sure with, I'm not sure if you were at the, uh, the infield area at all when you went, uh, I think you, you said, you mentioned you went uh, how your experience was in the snake pit this past go around. <laughs> well, I, I didn't actually go in the snake pit, uh, but I, but yes, just from the ancillary part of the snake pit, it was like quite the uh, quite the party itself. So my my thing is, I think the Indianapolis 500 to me is a fan experience. It beats the Daytona 500, and it's a hard it's a hard negotiation tactic for me as a fan experience. Like you're going to spend your hard earned money to go watch a race. The Indianapolis 500 is definitely the race to go watch. Now, you don't have to be a crazy follower of the IndyCar series. You don't have to know every driver, but you do get to enjoy some pretty cool-ass racing. So, that's just me. But your thoughts, my friend. See what your top five are. We'll kind of go from there, man. Yeah, I think we're actually uh, – we got your list written down. I think, I think honestly, we may have it in the exact same order. I, mean, I think maybe I might have one one different from, from yours. Uh, number five, I have the uh, I have the Southern 500. Um, obviously – Darlington Raceway is is NASCAR's oldest super speedway, um, you know, built in 1950. So uh, the event itself, I mean, obviously it's a who's who of, of who who's ever won that race. It was the original 500 mile race. I think the first one took about six hours to complete. Um, you know, the track itself, they call you know, it's got all the nicknames: Lady in Black, Too Tough to Tame, and it's if not one of the hardest, most challenging tracks on the circuit. And it's a long race. Um, so I've got the Southern 500 as my number five. 
My number four is the uh, is the twenty four hours of Le Mans uh, in France. Um, you know, I know you pick you pick Daytona. I, I the only reason why I kind of give Le Mans a little bit of a of a uh, proverbial uh, step up above Daytona. I mean, just strictly the history. You know, the first twenty four hours of Le Mans was run back in the in the early nineteen twenties. Um, you know, the circuit itself is is eight is eight and a half miles long. Uh, still, still, while most of the circuit, the majority of the circuit now is is a permanent uh, racetrack, there are the the Molson Strait. There is still actual public road, and there are, there are hardly any you know country circuits in the world that are still that still utilize some bit of public road outside of obviously street circuits. But uh, Le Mans still does utilize some bit of the, the public country roads there in in that part of France. Um, you know that that event obviously is is you know has over 100 years of of history um you know and i think is without a doubt when it comes to if you're you know a big time sports car racing fan that's the one event that um you know you'd like to win as a yeah I, I i grouped that with the f1 race of monaco actually is the number three <laughs> just yep. a heads up <laughs> i yeah i got monaco at three um you know monaco obviously they call it the, the, the crown jewel of the formula one season uh you know, Monaco itself is only. I read something that it's only that the that the, the uh, population of Monaco grows by like four or five fold when the when the race is in town. Um, you know, it's really a, a fishing village that you know has hundred million dollar yachts that pull up in there for for the race itself. Uh, the only reason why I, I'm not as big of a Monaco fan is the racing there is is not really that. Good. I mean, the track is not built for modern F1 cars. Um, you know, it, it, the, the chances of passing anybody. This the heads up. That, that's actually the oldest F1 track on the circuit, by the way. Ah, well done. Thank you, sir. Uh, yeah, but the, the, in terms of the ability to pass, I mean, it's not the best race to watch. There's no passing in the event, really. It's kind of like, okay, depending on where you qualify. Aside from attrition in the race, that's basically how you're going to finish. Uh, number two, I have the Daytona 500. Um, you know, obviously the, the the Super Bowl of, of NASCAR events uh, starts the season. Um, you know, to, to be a Daytona 500 champion, I mean, it's one of the few races that when you look at it and you say to yourself, you know, you can be a, a Cup Series champion or you can win the Daytona 500. Those are the those are the only few races that when somebody says I'm a champion. I'm a Daytona, the only where you put the word champion and, and race together. I think it's one of the few that you say I'm a Daytona 500 champion, along with being a, a NASCAR champion or something. So, um, and then number one, we both agreed the uh, the Indianapolis 500. You know, I mean the, the 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 trademark is the greatest spectacle in racing, and there's no doubt about it. Over 100 years of history at the Speedway, and as you and you you so eloquently said, I mean the uh, you know Indianapolis embraces the event i mean it's a generational event you know you hear folks who go to the race that they've been going since the 40s the 50s or the 60s or the 70s you know through generations of families going people people you know one of the big things for people who go to the 500 is getting the uh, the race the race pen um i read back in 2020 when there were folks who were when there was when there were no fans at the indianapolis 500 they're actually fans who, who uh, tailgated across the street, um, across 16th Street, so they could still be, so they could 
so their uh, streak wasn't broken. Um, they wouldn't break their uh, their streak of attending in the Indianapolis 500, even though they weren't physically on the grounds of the uh, inside the facility to watch the race. That was how important it was to continue their their streak. I, of, uh, I, I will say that, it, that I did not get mine when I went, and I'm actually kind of sad. I did not know about the pin rule. <laughs> I did not. Know. Yeah, that's kind of an old timers thing, but. Yeah, you know, again, that the 500 is such a. I mean, it's it's the biggest single day sporting event in the world. You're talking o- over 400,000 people packed into this facility. Um, it's truly one. And of the it starts events. bright ass early, like yeah. traffic highways. I'll, I'll just for the, the listeners at home, Chris. I, I think you've you've been to it as well. If you don't get onto the grounds or within the vicinity of the track itself by a certain time, you ain't getting there. And it's oh. it's crazy, and the highway shuts down. Like, and this is the crazy thing. My story of going to the Indy 500. I was out the night before the race, and they're like, "Hey, man, you know the race starts pretty early. You got to get there over there early." I'm like, "Hey, it's a noontime start. I'll get over there at 10. They're like, "Nah, man, <laughs> you got to be up there by eight. You know, get a spot. You know, to to and hell, I didn't even get really close. I had the my ride dropped me off literally probably about maybe a mile or so away from the track because the traffic was so bad." And I, I still, and I don't know about you, Chris, but I, I differentiate between the Daytona 500 and the Rolex 24. To me, as a race fan, as a NASCAR fan as well, it's very difficult now to, nowadays to watch Daytona the entire length of the race. That makes sense to you? Like, uh, it, you kind of have a lull point in the in the race itself. Like, you talk about Le Mans. I have no issue with Le Mans. I just think that the coverage here in the United States needs to be drastically better. Uh, yeah. in order for the fan for for the fandom to kind of take its take its ownership here in the United States, which I think this past offseason they talked about having these NASCAR teams like Hendrick and a couple other teams get involved in the 24 hour Le Mans. But I think seriously, the one thing I, I think we're both on the same page about is the Indianapolis 500 is something that is unique to fans. Like it's not it's not just a, a race car event. It is literally. The, they call it the spectacle for a reason. There is infield stuff going on, the snake pit, they call it. That's having a good time. There's a reputation. When I was there, people were bringing in cases of beer with them and coolers. People were drinking beer, giving you beer because, hell, they're not going to drink it. You know, all that stuff. Um, well, thing is, it, yeah. <laughs> then you factor, in, you factor in, too. I mean, we, we talk about tradition and, the, you know, the, 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 the event, you know, it's kind of an overused term, but that the event is steeped in tradition, but it truly is. You know, you think about some of the traditions of the Indianapolis 500, like the bagpipes and like the Purdue marching band and singing back home again in Indiana. Uh, you know, and also in a pole pole day, pole day is another one. I mean, not yep. many races have that as yep. well as they, the carb, the carb day. Um, yep. and, and the cool thing about if you stay in downtown Indiana, uh, Indianapolis, they have the parade. They do all that stuff, and it's the pageantry yep. of it. And it really is a fun event. Like, it, it's it's difficult um, for a fan. Like, I, the reason why I bring up my top five the way it is is because I think as a fan experience, if you're going to spend your hard-earned money to go to the event and kind of stimulate the economy of that city, you really want to get all of, all of it. You want to get the whole entire fan experience. And Indianapolis, in my view, hits the nail on the head over every every year it seems like it just there's obviously the names will change right the winners will change um but the the race itself is 
unique, I think, as well to a, a fan that's never really watched a lot of racing before. It's, it still draws casual fans, still draws regular diehard fans, too. So I think the Indy 500 is unique. The 24-hour Rolex, I think that is a unique fandom in itself as well. Um, I think you can agree with me on this. To sit and watch that race for the entire 24-hour race is probably one of the hardest things a person can do, let alone the endurance races to begin with. But the city of Daytona tends to do a pretty good job of it uh, for the most part. I would say, Chris, was the, was the crowd at the 24 hours pretty pretty the same as the Daytona 500, or you say the Daytona 500 no, has a bigger crowd? Completely different. The, both crowds. Um, and I, I read upwards. There were upwards of about fifty to 60,000 people at the at the Daytona 24. I, I would tend to believe there were more, just looking at the number of people on the grid. But the, it is... The two, the two fan bases. I mean, obviously, you'll have some crossover folks who are just racing fans and want to attend, but for the for the most part, both fan bases are totally different. Um, you know, you're you're the from a from a NASCAR standpoint, in Daytona. I mean, the, the, the drivers are the stars. You know, the cars are very for the for the most part, the cars are very secondary. It's really about who the drivers are and the personalities. And who people follow? You're, you know, you're you're a Chase Elliott fan. You're a Ryan Blaney fan. You're a Joey Logano fan. You're a Ross Chastain fan. That that's who you are. You're not there. You might have some people who are fans of Hendrick Motorsports or Team Penske or, or RFK Racing, but it's the dri- it's the drivers who really push the who really push the, the 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 event itself. Now, when you look at the the Rolex Twenty Four or any any sports car race, for for example. It's all about the cars itself. The cars are the stars of the event. The drivers are almost secondary. I mean, there are some drivers who have who have a uh, who have fandom, have some uh, fan appeal, and and people who know who they are. But really, it's all about the makes. I mean, if you're a Porsche fan, if you're a Ferrari fan, if you're a a Corvette fan, like those fans are tried and true to their makes. It's kind of similar to what NASCAR was in its in its infancy, where you had people who were Ford fans and Chevy fans. Um, but now I think now it's more solely focused on who the driver is. Whereas in sports car racing, it's all about the manufacturer itself. And I think and I think in I think Formula One is a mix. I think you have people, um, you know, I think Formula One's kind of the happy kind of the happy medium between if you look at it. You have people who are fans of of Max Verstappen or, or Lewis Hamilton or, or but who are or, but who are Ferrari fans or Mercedes fans or uh, you know you, you Red Bull fans you name the team but I think that's that's the only sport to me that that transcends both is probably Formula One uh, IndyCar I think IndyCar is kind of similar to NASCAR as well I mean they all drive the same car so it's really about who the driver and the team is I, I think here's a weird, the weird unique kind of play I, I want to say this. I think uniquely Formula One is a better product in a sense of the car. Obviously, the cars are really high end, but the thing is, the product here in the United States that's portrayed like the okay, I don't, I don't know about you, man, but like they were doing broadcast coverages at like six, seven a.m. in the morning on Sunday morning for these Grand Prix on the other side of the world, and I'm sorry, but the the broadcasts are a little bit different. Um, there's a lot more like the radio, you hear the radios of the teams in a unique way. I, I think 
Formula One is not Americanized. It is more of a it's a global sport, and in that regard, it 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 it's going to be unique to see how Formula One kind of drives going forward. And we're talking about the Monaco race. The Monaco, and I brought this point tidbit out. Monaco is the oldest circuit that Formula One uses. And and it, for being like you said, the racing is kind of boring. You would think that your what drives the money. It, it, you talked about it. What gets parked outside the 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 Monaco, the island of Monaco, it's those million billion dollar yachts. So of course, Formula One, you see that with a lot of big high end money being spent. So for a fan experience, as much as I, I rank Monaco like number three in the same group with Le Mans. It's going to cost you a pretty penny to go over there as a fan, you know, to watch that race. And as a fan, it kind of tears you away from wanting to watch it live because you don't know the logistics of it. It might be more of a pain in the ass than it's worth. And uh, the United States, I think, with F one coming here to Las Vegas uh, to do a street circuit race, I think it's going to turn off a lot of fans in the United States away from Formula 1. And I bring that in the nicest way possible because – and this is unique, I'll, I'll talk about it, is that the cost of admission to that race, it being the inaugural event, is ridiculously expensive. And Las Vegas notoriously is an expensive city, regardless of however you want to fray it. It's expensive no matter what. But when you put the tickets of a Formula One race, which even for the Circuit of America, the Grand Prix of the Americas in Austin, uh, it was an expensive race to go to. And I, I'm sorry, but you kind of have to rein the Formula One, in my view, as an American, you kind of have to rein in the ticket prices in order to get more fandom from the United States. And it's the same thing with, I think, Le Mans. I, I'm not sure the tickets of Le Mans, the 24 hour Le Mans, but they're sold out already. The 24 hour is already sold out. Um, the Rolex 24, I'm pretty sure with what you say to what the, 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 the pop, you know, the, the tickets and everything else, they were still available up until I think around Christmas is when they started kind of, you were going to start seeing the scarcity of ticket prices. So the Daytona 20, uh, Daytona 500 is one of those races as well that um, it's, it still sells out every year. The Indianapolis 500, uh, like you said, it's a generational thing. When I went, I was lucky to get a ticket where I got the ticket and I, I wish I had a, it's like a nuance, Chris. You kind of know where you want to sit, where you think you want to sit, what might be a good spot to sit. But when you get to attract that size, you're kind of just hunkering down and hope it works out for the best, you know? So I don't know what your thoughts on the Formula One in the United States are, but I, I, I'll be interested to see what they do um, going forward. But like I said, they need to kind of rein their ticket prices in stateside if they want more fandom. Yeah, I'll make I'll make it quick. I mean, I think that I think you know, obviously Formula One sees you know, obviously Formula One has ownership now here with uh, Liberty Media, who purchased the rights to to Formula One probably almost half a decade ago. So um, I think I think one of the one of the you know this this American market here is is obviously big. I mean, it's the biggest market, biggest media market that that they can that they that they want to break into. Um, you know, question for Formula One is going to be obviously now you have you know traditionally you only had one Grand Prix per country. Now here with with with, uh, with Liberty, we're going to have three rounds of, of the World Championship in the United States, which is kind of unheard of. I mean, at one time we did have multiple rounds, but 
Um, but now we have three rounds of the, of the world championship here. You know, as you mentioned, Miami, then Austin, and then uh, Las Vegas. So I think a concern for me would be if obviously, uh, you know, the going is really good right now for Formula One in, in the United States. But, you know, at what point do you over oversaturate the market? And in turn, you know, kind of hurt, kind of hurt your uh, your product. I mean, I think the way they're kind of portraying Vegas is that it's a Monaco-esque type event. I think they're doing the same with with uh, with Miami. So there's a method to the madness, but um, it, it's going to be interesting to see if long term how sustainable having three rounds of a championship in one country is. Um, I just think I just think Chris that Las Vegas that street circuit style, which I'm pretty sure the the designs have come out on the internet, and you can see the way they want to build the Las Vegas Strip involvement into it and everything else. I, I just think it's a very how would I say gimmicky, as a nice way of putting it. Um, bow on on a on a rate on a on an organization that really doesn't need to do that. Um, why don't I mean, you do the why don't you do for, it's all about exactly. It's all about you know, it's all about cash flow and money and drive and a lot of things. Why 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 don't they do Long Beach, the circuit of Long Beach? Why don't they do Sebring? Why don't they do? There's many many circuits in this country in the United States that are worthy enough to. Because those circuits aren't up, those circuits aren't up to the to the standards of the FIA. Okay, well, I mean that's the thing. If you give them a contract, you would think Chris that you you would kind of lock it in, you know, for like say a five year deal. For the safety style, I, I understand what you're talking about on the safety standards. Yeah, I understand that part. But, but like, if, if you if you commit to it for five years, then it gives a track an outlet saying, "Okay, we have this commitment. What's what's upgrade our our, it, our track?" So it it's 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 safety. It's it's safety. There's multi there's multi facet thing. It's safety, but it's also you know areas like hospitality and um, just. Those unfortunately circuits like like for example Long Beach at one time was an F one track, um, but the the infrastructure around that type of event is not is not sustainable. Oh, it's so it's tough today. when they it, it's it's tough when they do the Long Beach circuit in general. It's it's it puts a drain on that city for for weeks months. It's bad. No, I mean it it it, it makes money. The, the 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 Long Beach Grand Prix is you know it's it's the oldest street circuit of any United States. I mean you know. Street street circuit events have, I, I've told people before. Street circuit events are like uh, are like restaurants. You know, they have a high, they have a very high failure rate. The Long Beach Grand Prix, I think, has been the only event that has been a stalwart. Um, and and obviously the area, you know, that area there has embraced the event itself. Um, but yeah, I, I I completely get where you're coming from in terms of you know why hasn't Formula One looked at a existing circuit? But it just well, I mean, I, like, for example, I'll just I'll make this argument. Las Vegas, in my view, if you're going to go to that race, it gives Las Vegas an excuse to raise the rates for the rooms, which they already have done, to the sky high level. They're, they don't need any more excuse to raise the rates on their rooms or their hospitality to begin with when there's events going on in the city. So Las Vegas, to me, is not... Dest- I mean, I know it's an, it's an automatic destination already. So, like, what's the lore that Vegas – it's like basically putting icing on the cake that's already a cake. It, it's already, it's it's Miami. When they did announce Miami, I was like, okay, that's cool. 
you know, Miami is a cool city. That makes sense. Like, so why Las Vegas is my kind of like, eh, you know, like, that's I, I my hiccup, you, I, you know. I think you answered your own question there. It's like, it, it's, you know, so let's use NASCAR as an example of what they're doing this year in 2023. Um, and it was kind of off topic, but, you know, they, they, Road America was getting upwards of almost 100,000 fans, but it's Road America. It's in the middle of no. It's in the basically the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. Hey, it's a be- it's a beautiful place. Don't don't hate. It it is no without a doubt, but it's in Call the middle. Of spotted of, cow. It's in the middle of. It's in between Green Bay and Milwaukee. There's really nothing there except this, you know, very very nice racing circuit. Whereas you go to Las Vegas, you go to uh, Chicago. Excuse me. And um, murder capital of the United States, by the way. I'm, I'm not. I'm not agreeing that it's the safest place to be. But when it comes down to it, you know, television wants to be in a major media market. I think the team, the, the sponsors, want to be in a major media market, and the team certainly may not want to be there. But unfortunately, you know, money, money is uh, money kind of runs the show. That's why we're going to be, you know, this. Not sure when this, uh, whenever this episode will be coming out. We we're, we're taping this before the before the LA clash, but I don't think teams would. I don't think teams really enjoyed going out all the way out to California from their home base in the Carolinas to do an exhibition race. But well, I mean, I still. That's why I, I and Chris, we, we we're gonna. I know we're kind of getting off topic here, but this is worth talking about because it's it, it's worth it because to me, the LA Coliseum race is the complete. It's a, it, it's a laughing stock of the entire or, sport of racing. I'm sorry, but everyone thought when Bristol Motor Speedway was a short track and it had a lot of bumping and wrecking that it was exciting. Well, guess what? When you watch that race, Bristol is amazing because of what it is. Bristol Motor Speedway takes talent. It's not just bumping and using the shit out of somebody to move them out the way. This LA Coliseum race, it's an exhibition, so it's not even a point race, by the way, and it doesn't even pay out that good. Hell, the, the 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 saga on the internet right now on Twitter and everywhere else on social media is who's doing the the pre race concert and who's doing this and who's doing that. Why why don't they do a cool exhibition race? I don't know. Anywhere, why does it have to be the LA Coliseum? I don't understand that they want to try to get fans from that market. And I understand that they obviously are renovating the California Auto Club Speedway to a to the to a short track. So. It's putting like a hat on a hat, you know. It's just kind of ridiculous, you know. I, I'm not a fan. I'm not saying this, you know, was a bad idea, but like logistically, as a sports team, as a race car team, that sucks to drive. Have a t- okay, have a hauler drive three thousand miles in the beginning of in the middle of February, and then drive it back to Daytona just to go back out there again, because yep. that's the West Coast swing happens within the, like two week period of time. How is that cost effective for these teams? Like, I, I just, I think it's redundant. It's you know? not at all. And it, and it's, it is, I understand that they're trying to drive sponsorship money and this, that, and the other thing, but like, it, it is beyond comprehension. I'm sorry, but the race is terrible. I don't know about your views on it, but the race, in my opinion, is definitely lackluster. That, that, I'd rather watch the Bristol dirt race in the spring twice than watch what I'm about to watch at the LA Coliseum. And by the way, if anyone wants to know, I am not a fan of putting dirt on Bristol Motor Speedway. I hate it. Hate the idea. Yeah, it's the most fucking ridiculous. Bristol Motor Speedway has more history, arguably before the repave, than any other track in the nation, other than Darlington or Daytona. 
because of how cool it actually was. To watch those guys do what they do at Bristol for 500 laps is amazing. I arguably can say that Bristol Motor Speedway, any of the night race, or even the spring race, could be a crown jewel if you actually are a fan because it's a great experience. Mine is that it's in the middle of nowhere. That's the only problem. But I digress. I think, seriously, the the Las Vegas idea for 4 one in my opinion, is going to draw on out within three to five years. I don't think it's going to work. And I think they're going to have to find another opportunity somewhere else. And I think what they're going to have to do is kind of revamp their ticket pricing. And either they go back to Circuit of Americas in Austin with a, a better model business-wise, and it can drive North American traffic there, maybe keep Miami. But, yeah, I don't see Las Vegas lasting unless they kind of – I mean, I'm sorry, dude, but, like, I, no one's going to spend $10,000 to go – watch a Formula One race when they can, a lot of American fans can't afford that right now. It's kind of like out of touch with what's going on in the country. You know, it's just, it, unless you're completely rich, which I understand. Awesome. Cool. You have money. But at the same time, uh, <laughs> a lot of people can't. So I think we can go back and forth about this, but it, it is one of the few things when it comes to road of America, that's another great track in the United States. Probably one of the coolest road courses, I think, Design-wise, the fan experience is pretty cool. Uh, from what I understand, I've not been there, but I, from what I read and what I listen to a lot of people that have been there, I've traveled to Wisconsin uh, usually every year for business, and it's a, it's a really fun state to be in. Um, you know, so I don't... Chris, I can say to you, man, uh, I don't know what your thoughts are on Watkins Glen. Uh, I know it's been a while since you've been up there, but, you know, why not Watkins yeah. Glen? Why not Watkins Glen for a Florida one race? Yeah, I mean, they, they used to have F one race up there, but it would require a uh, a lot of uh, a lot of updates. There's no doubt about that. Yep, you're right about that, and that's where I think you know if you get a track, which you know during the pandemic, man, it's I don't see what what was the issue with Formula One or even when IMSA IMSA announced the schedule, which was pretty unique that they announced their schedule, and I saw the tracks they were going to. Some of them I never even heard of. Like not saying I show my my not streetcar racing prowess there, but like Virginia International Speedway. Never heard of it. Uh <laughs> Road, Road Atlanta. I didn't know it existed apparently until it did. Uh showing my rookiness in that one. But it's pretty cool. But that being said, guys, uh, I'm gonna call it here, man. Uh I appreciate everyone taking a listen to this banter between which is the crown jewel, which universally has been accepted as the Indianapolis five hundred by these two. Uh, if you disagree, feel free to uh, argue on Twitter. It might go on deaf ears, but you know it's worth the banter. Uh, on you can follow us on Yankee Cowboy Pod at Twitter, as well on Instagram for all your cool updates, as well on Instagram and Twitter. Also, enjoy, enjoy this episode will be coming out before the LA Coliseum race, but enjoy the beginning of the race car season because once we get to the West Coast, it starts to draw out really bad. So, Chris, appreciate you joining me as always again for another episode. And uh, thanks for the banter. <laughs> do, it, do it again next week. Oh, yes, sir. Thank you for listening to the Yankee Cowboy Podcast. Feel free to follow us on social media via Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Facebook.